Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. The Sentencing Project has reviewed a decade of nationwide data and found that, over the last 10 years, incarceration disparities between tribal youth and white youth have grown worse. In 2010, the tribal youth incarceration rate was three times as high as white youth. By 2019, that ratio grew 14%. There are 11 states with at least 8,000 tribal adolescents, and tribal youth are more likely to be in custody than white youth in nine of those states. Juvenile facilities, including 1,510 detention centers, residential treatment centers, group homes, and youth prisons, held 36,479 youth, with another 653 in adult prisons and around 2,900 youth in adult jails. Between 2010 and 2019, juvenile facility placements fell by 48%. During these years, white youth placements declined faster than tribal youth placements, 48% versus 39% increasing an already significant disparity. Nationally, the youth placement rate was 114 in 100,000. The tribal youth placement rate was 236 per 100,000 compared to the white youth placement rate of 72 per 100,000. Two months ago, St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones declared victory on her key campaign promise to close the workhouse, the city's old jail, an infamous example of inhumane confinement warehousing the city's poor. But as of last Saturday, the workhouse has reopened after prisoners held at the overcrowded new jail escaped their cells and took control of the fourth floor. On Friday evening, 25 inmates jimmied locks and escaped their cells in a disturbance that lasted until officers responded with pepper spray. Joe Vaccaro, the St. Louis Public Safety Committee chair said, quote, this is what we said would happen. They closed it way too soon. The way they did this was ridiculous. Disturbances have taken place almost monthly. Last February, over 100 detainees began jimmying locks, opening cell doors, setting fires, clogging toilets, flooding the floor, and breaking windows. On Easter Sunday, detainees escaped their cells again, throwing items out of the building, chanting, we want court dates, after their trials were delayed by the coronavirus pandemic. Richard Bradley, the city's chief engineer, said the city had started a $13.5 million project to fix the new jail, including rerouting controls within inmates' reach that open every cell door on each unit. Renovations are continually delayed. Corrections Commissioner Jeff Carson said, We are taking the best course of action for the safety and well-being of corrections staff and detainees at this time. Maybe we can eventually get to one jail, but we want to make sure that one jail is fixed. This week, we return to our conversation with David Campbell, an anti-fascist political prisoner from New York. In this episode, Campbell continues to talk about his time on Rikers Island, this time focusing on jobs and other ways that people pass the time, sleeping, video games, visits, and how the introduction of tablets in Rikers Island affected those activities. He ends by talking about his experiences with relationship building during and after incarceration. My first job in, my, in the first building that I was in, in, in EMTC, was uh, outside cleanup detail, which was actually a good job because you got to get outside every day, bright and early in the morning. 
And then again, it's a whole complex of buildings and trailers and offices. And so like you would go into some of the office buildings or the trailers and you would like sweep them off the floor, take out the trash, you know, stuff like that. You would like um, salt the roads, you know, snow or ice. Um, you would pick up trash off the side of the road. Sometimes you get to drive across the bridge from Rikers to Queens and pick up trash on the Queens side of the bridge, which is just a little parking lot with a couple trailers where like if you're going to Rikers, you know, there's like a guard booth, you know, you got to check in if you're delivering like, you know, apples or bananas or whatever you got to, you know, sign in. There. So there's, there's some stuff on, on the Queens side of the bridge where occasionally they need people to pick up trash. So you got to get out and get around a little bit. They retired all of the workout equipment, like the, the weights and stuff from Rikers, like, I don't know how, at some point in the past. But instead of just throwing them away, they put them in like this parking lot, which was kind of where our staging ground was for, for this this job. So you got to use the weights, which was nice. Yeah, because everything else is just body weight at Rikers. You know, like every job has little perks like that. Like, oh, cool, you got weights at that job? Like, that's huge. How do I get that job? Like, guys will kind of talk to you. Um, and guys want to work, to be clear. And I'm not trying to like, yeah, right. I mean, maybe this is old news to you, but it was kind of a shock to me. You know, when I first realized I was going to do time, I was like, I'm not going to do anything slavery really it's not happening and then i got there and i was like i mean first of all i'm not gonna lose good time for that second like i need something to do you know what i mean like um and that's what most guys are like they're desperate to pass the time but that that outside cleanup job was pretty good um had some perks and then once i moved to the four building for the majority of my sentence i worked in the kitchen and um i did um uh, basically like uh, loaded up these insulated food parts like they're just kind of big boxes big cubes that are like plastic and they have like foam insulation and you see them at like nursing homes and stuff sometimes hospitals they're they're called food wagons so they call them at rikers so you load those up with like trays full of food when it's chow time and you deliver them to the housing units that are uh higher security so they don't leave their housing unit and go to the, the mess hall right because it's like a risk that they mingle with people they might have beef with or like whatever right so like they just eat in the dorm they get their food delivered to them which actually sucks more the first dorm I was in because like you don't have as much, right? Like if you go to the mess hall, they have pans and pans of stuff. But if you only have a couple pans delivered, like you're going to get a smaller portion and it's lukewarm because it's like had time to cool in transit. But anyway, that was my job. And, and most of the time I was just hanging out in the kitchen, which was cool because you got access to, you know, stuff, stuff that was like around, but like, like cereal, like the, if you've ever been to like a hotel, they have little single serving packages of cereal. Cinnamon checks is solid gold on Rikers Island. Cinnamon checks. I, it is worth its weight in gold. Like if you could sneak in like a, a family sized box of cinnamon checks and just like, you know, get, if you gave it away, to, they would be like king for a day. It would be incredible. Uh, yeah. So cinnamon checks is the best one. They also have Cheerios total. Um, I think that's it. So you get, you get cereal, um, milk, little cartons of milk, you know, fresh fruit, spices. Those are all on a spectrum of like acquirability from like, COs will give them to you as a perk, right? That's one of the perks of working in the kitchen, right? Like you can ask your CO, the supervisor, yeah, let me get a milk. And like, he'll, he'll give you a carton of milk. I'm like, you know, cool. So they're on this, all of these things are on the spectrum of like, can be gotten from CO by asking to like must steal, right? Um, so, or like soy milk, you know, onions, yeah, lots of shit that you could kind of bring back to the dorm to make whatever people were cooking a little more palatable, you know, like that was really nice, you know. Um, it was It was not a bad job. And actually the guy who worked for was a good dude. I mean, he's a CEO and all cops are bastards, but he knows how I feel, you know? And like, you know, he, he was an all right guy. He knew my case and he was actually very supportive. And he, you know, in, in whatever way that we had a rapport, he, he looked out, you know, on a number of occasions, which I appreciated, you know? So that, that also mattered. You know what I mean? I felt like that mattered a lot. 
like I said, I didn't really want to work at first. And then I, I, like I was talking about earlier, I had a good routine where I was staying busy with my own stuff. I was doing a lot of translating work and a lot of writing, you know, like that. It's a great opportunity, right? Because I'm not paying rent. Uh, when I first moved to RNDC, I was like, I, you know, I don't want to work. Like I, I'm just going to, I got my routine. But ultimately, like looking back on it, it was, it was nice to pass the time. It, it, like it helped a lot. And you, you see guys that, that work two and three jobs just to pass the time because you only get paid for one, right? You only get paid for one job. But you see guys that are working two or even three just to pass the time, right? You stay busy, time goes fast, you know? Um, besides working and sleeping, you had uh, a lot of guys reading, a lot of reading, a lot of watching TV, um, playing video games. In one housing unit that I was in, there was a PS4. Um, every housing unit right, is different. And it's little things like that. Like, you, oh, you just have a PS4 here? Like, okay, cool. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not really, you know, I, I'm not big into video games. Um, and then, like, I didn't want to get into the whole, like, what was your first, you know, mm-hmm. becomes an issue. So I didn't play. But, but that was a big one for a lot of people. There was one guy who was called PlayStation because... Five in the morning when the PlayStation came on, he would be the first one out of bed, right into the day room, sit down, and he would play until somebody woke up and said, yo, let me get a turn. Like that, he was PlayStation. So for him, he passed a lot of time that way. About two or three months before I went home, they gave out tablets, um, which I think in a lot of other prisons or jails, that's like becoming more and more common, right? Like um, educational resources and stuff. Um, There was no email and no internet, but like there were a lot of movies on there and weird selections of movies. I think one week... It, they changed every week, right? But I think one week I watched like The Crucible, Mrs. Doubtfire, and uh, the X Files movie from two thousand. It was like the weird, yeah. And there were other weird ones on there too. But like you know, it was just kind of like the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies. Like one, two, and three kept coming on. It's like the last part of my big guy spent a lot of time lying in bed watching movies. Visits, visits really helped to break up the time. I had a lot of mail, so for me to respond to my mail it was like actually a thing. Every night or so, I would take like an hour and like just respond to letters. That was cool. Um, but I was really lucky. I mean, I was a political prisoner with a high profile, like compared to most of the guys, it's like, they just didn't have that level of support. Right. So like, it's like a thing that I was very grateful for past the time. I mean, honestly, the, the work is a big thing. Like the, the West facility job where you can make $300 a week. Another thing about that is that those were like often eight to 12 hour shifts and most jobs you're only working for a few hours. Like it could be an hour and a half. Like it could be a very short shift. You know, my shift in the kitchen was generally like four hours of which I spent maybe an hour working and it was easy work. So like the idea that you could get out, not just of the dorm, but of the building, you know, for like up to 10, 12 hours is like very appealing to a lot of guys. You know what I mean? That on top of making a lot of money by jail standards. There were some educational programs and stuff that all got shut down with COVID and didn't really open back up. There were like, you know, some art programs, um, they had somebody come and talk about art and like give you handouts and like encourage you to make art. They had uh, something called the Peace Center, which like they were always talking about how they spent two million dollars to build the Peace Center, which is you know a drop in the bucket. Like you know, I guess they were proud that they weren't spending it on like razor wires. They just like don't ever think to like put something in that will like maybe make people like feel more comfortable or like less like traumatized or you know like right. Um, the fact that they did it at all, I think, was like where they're coming from. But yeah, it's like. They, uh, they remodeled this old dorm in like the basement of RNDC and called it the Peace Center. And they put up all these weird quotes about peace on the wall, you know, from Gandhi and Albert Einstein and John Lennon. And you could go there and yeah, I'm not making this up by the way. Like, so in the Peace Center, they had like some like treadmills and they had like video game consoles and a ping pong table. They had a recording studio, a mixing studio, 
and like a little like theater, like a little like a projector with like a few rows of like chairs bolted together. And you so sometimes they would just roll up and be like, peace out or peace out, and you could go and watch a movie. Like guys would do that. They had popcorn actually, which was nice. Like yeah, like fresh popcorn with butter. It's cool. You would go watch a movie and a CEO would come out with a tray of popcorn and be like, would you like some popcorn? Like that, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's so weird. Well, yeah, but so like, you know, I'm glad you guys are doing this, right? But like, why don't we put a lot more money into a lot more things like this? Like, this is nice, right? But like, we we could like maybe talk to people about like ways to work out their differences without violence, right? Or um, like the sort of structural problems that create most crime in the first place, right? Like, you know, we could do that. Or we could eat popcorn and watch a movie. Like, that's cool. It's like pure, like, it's like diversion. Yeah. Or yeah. Like they're just, it's yeah. Like everything is cycling around distraction. Totally. Yeah. Or exploitation. I mean. The two. Yeah. The two. Yeah. The both. Yeah. That that the peace center was was kind of nice. You know, especially in the la- when I got to the last part of my sentence, and I was like, I just the time is going so slow. I can't f- deal. Right. I was going to the peace center like every time they called, I was like, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll go watch that movie again, and just well, just to pass the time. I look at the clock. Yeah. Get out of the dorm. You know, it's like. So, yeah, pe- people did all kinds of stuff. Um, smoking plane is huge. Plane, K2, spice, some people call it. But, you, yeah, a lot of guys spent a lot of time smoking in K2. It's rampant in there. It's rampant in there. And I think that's true for a lot of prisons and jails, right? That's, like, pretty common. Because it's, so it's invisible. It's tasteless. It's odorless. It doesn't show up in the drug test. It's usually on paper, right? It's, like, a clear liquid that you soak paper in. And then you tear the paper up and roll it up and smoke. So, like on a search, they're just going to see a sheet of paper, right? Unless it's already in tiny, what they call a stamp, like the size of a postage stamp. Unless it's like a, a suspicious, like single piece of paper torn into a little, like they're not going to know. So it's very popular in jail. And it like, dude, it's it's bad. I mean, K2 is not good for you. People have seizures and they call it catching an epi or getting stuck. And they just kind of laugh it off. I Listen, I get it, dude. It, it's, 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 it's psychological torture to be there. You got to pass the time. And... People, they got to put that energy somewhere. Like there, there were a lot of people who were into hard drugs on the street. That so you can get Suboxone, and what's the other one? Methadone in Rikers. If you're addicted to heroin, you can get those, and you can actually control like what level you want. You can go up or you can go down. Like you can do whatever you want, which is nice. But even then, I think for a lot of those people, you know, Methadone or Suboxone just didn't cut it, right? Folks that are addicted to, to harder drugs, so. So, but you, you, so you did see a lot of guys who were into harder drugs on the street, addicted, addicted to harder drugs on the street, smoking plane. But you also had a lot of guys who were like, I just want to pass the time. You know, like I just, like I smoke weed on the outside, right? So um, this is as close as it gets. And it's kind of like weed and like, you know what, I can afford it, like, because it's expensive, you know. So, but a lot of guys spend, spend a lot of time smoking plane. And then, you know, that kind of dominates whatever, you know, they might just go sit in the day room and like veg out and watch TV, you know. While they ride their high, you know, there was one guy who would just stare at the wall after he smoked and like sculpt his hair up into this little like rooster mohawk do. And just like, dude, this is what I always knew when he just smoked. But yeah, the dr- drugs are huge in there. Hooch too, people make hooch. They call it a lot of different things in different places. But, who, you know, and it's funny because hooch is also just a slang term like booze for alcohol in my experience. But it's got a specific usage in Rikers hooch. It's just like people. Make. So, you know, sometimes you get a batch of hooch and like, you know, guys will like spend all day drinking it. Um, they usually drink during the day because one, there's nothing to do the lights are on so you're not going to sleep probably and two if you get drunk at night you might somebody off because people are trying to sleep when, when there is hooch you might see a few guys just like spending the day drinking drinking the day away a lot a lot of different stuff a lot of guys write too see a lot of guys writing you know journaling or whatever writing creative projects
Are the sentence and detainees, are they always separate? They're, they're strict about it in the housing units. Again, it's a liability thing. They're not supposed to mingle at all, right? Mm -hmm. So if they put sentenced and detained inmates in the same dorm and one of them f***s the other up, it could be a problem. I think they're mostly concerned about like detainee on sentenced violence, right? Because sentenced inmates tend to behave. Detainees, not to say they, they don't behave, but they're just, just a different game for them in a lot of cases, right? A lot of them are pretty sure they're going to do prison time. A lot of them just came out of prison. You know, the system doesn't work. People keep going back. It's just kind of different stakes, I think. So we were always separate in the housing units. And at EMTC, that was a whole separate building, right? Where it was only sentenced people. Once they moved this to RNDC, there were units of TANs, of detainees, and units of Greens, sentenced inmates, in like the same mod, which is like what they call the wing, you know, of, of the building, like a section of the building, you know, I guess kind of like a block. But so the dorm right across the hall for a chunk of my bid was full of detainees and the two dorms upstairs. And like when they called yard, cause it was for the whole mod, we all went to the yard together, right? So you might have like two or three guys in greens and 20 or 30 guys in tans out at the yard, right? Same thing going to like visits, you would mingle with tans on the visiting floor. You would mingle with tans, uh, like going to chow in the, the mess hall. They wouldn't call your whole housing unit at the same time, but like their dorm would be coming back well, you would be going out, right? And like maybe a couple stragglers would still be finishing up. So you did mingle a lot. Like basically if you wanted to get somebody, you know, across that line, you could, but they're pretty strict about it in terms of the housing unit. 12 lower was, was my first dorm. That was an EMTC. And then I, I, I lived in mod four lower south in RNDC. And then they moved this across the hall to mod four lower north. And that's where I did the last like five months, something like that. Do you feel like you had like a spatial awareness of where you were? Like, like, you know, I mean, Rikers is like an island with many different buildings and then these buildings seem to have lots of different right. areas. Like, did you feel like you knew where you were? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, yeah. Cause like, why would it matter? Right. Like it really, right. I, I did. And it, it mattered for me, um, just to be just cause like, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious about that. So I just like kind of person, like I want to know, like I want to orient myself. So I knew in large part, thanks to my first job, SOD, that's what they call the outside cleanup job, SOD. Um, but with that job, we, I spent a lot of time driving, not driving, riding around the island in different vehicles, right? Like a truck or like a like ATV or, you know, to do, sometimes you were doing yard work, like weed whacking and So I got a sense of the layout of the island, right? And it's not that complicated. And you also had like kind of old hands. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation. You guys are like, oh, that's the fire building. No, it's the beacon. No, that's the, you know. But guys who knew, you know, you could kind of tell. They knew what they were talking about, what building that is, what building that is. So, yeah, having having a sense of the layout of the island from my first job helped in terms of orienting myself. And then over time, just kind of knowing when somebody knows what they're talking about in terms of what's where on the island. The yard for RNDC was actually, like, almost touching LaGuardia, the tarmac of LaGuardia. So that also, you know, you could orient yourself that way. It doesn't really matter, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something you would necessarily need to know. There are guys who never even, you know, went outside for the yard. They just like, that to me is crazy. I couldn't do that. But I think it's the same thing. It's like, it doesn't really matter where I am, right? Or like, you know, I mean, obviously they don't want you to find like a map of the island or anything. Like, yeah, but I had some idea. It was, it was helpful. I'm curious, like, um, what your experience was building relationships. This is a thing I've talked about with people um, since I've come out. That like when homeless people approach me for like change now. Uh, and I, I hope this, you know, I'm, I'm able to kind of readjust, but my gut reaction is just like, I'm sorry, I can't do it today. Right. Because there are homeless people, you know, people who might be addicted to something like crack or people who are just in dire straits, whatever in Rikers, 
and if they come up to me, right? I mean, everybody's watching me, right? Everything is social, right? So it's like, if I, if I don't know you and you ask me to help you out and I'm just like, yeah, sure. Like, that's a problem, right? Because then like other guys are going to come ask me, you know, and it's like, there's this sort of like knee jerk sort of like defensiveness. Like I, I, I can't just go out and like be a nice guy, like about everything. But I also believe that like people respond well if you treat them as humans, right? And so like, I'm not going to give all my to you, right? Like that's not going to happen. But like, you know, if you want to talk like about where you're from and where I'm from or what, you know, what you're doing in your life or whatever, you know, or just about anything. We can talk about the weather. We can talk, you know what I mean? You want to cook together. That's a great way, you know, sharing food to build some bonds with people. And then as we develop a rapport, yeah, dude, you need to pack a ramen noodles until we go to commissary tomorrow. Like you can have it, you know, not a problem. You know what I mean? And pay me back or don't like actually sentenced inmates. I don't know about detainees, but at least sentenced inmates on Rikers give each other little gifts and stuff all the time all the time. And so you start to develop this kind of sense of who you can trust, who you can lend to, who you can gift to, right? And and with that, you, you develop trust, right? And you, you can lend more and more. You can give bigger and bigger things if you want. You can entrust people with more things. And, and that's cool to see happen, you know? You, you develop friendships. And then also, it's you know, it's like I don't come from the same background as a lot of these guys. I mean, really, all of the other white folks I saw in there were addicted to hard drugs or alcohol, right? Like I stand out, like a sore thumb. So people, like in the first week or so, were maybe kind of skeptical. One guy told me that some of the young guys in the dorm were talking about needing to see my paperwork because like, oh, maybe I was into kids or something. Because why does a nerdy 30-year-old white guy go to Rikers? You know what I mean? Um, it's a little suspicious. It's unusual, right? Because like you should be able to afford a lawyer to get you off, right? Like, But then once I started getting all this mail and all these visits and like, you know, people sending me newspaper articles with my name in it, it's like, Oh, you know, people kind of see that, like, I'm not making this up, right? So my case also was enormously helpful. Most people, when I say most, I mean, like, the overwhelming majority of people who are incarcerated on Rikers Island do not like Trump, right? So, like, the first night, I think, that I was in 12 Lower, my dorm in EMTC, I was reading a book in the shower. So the shower, not, like, while I was showering, but, like, in the shower, because there's a bench there and the lights stay on all night. They cut the lights out at 9 p.m., on the floor, like in the dorm, 9 p.m. It's like, I like to read, you know, I can't go to sleep. So like, I did this for my whole sentence. I would take a book after lights out and go sit in the bathroom and read. And so I was doing that one night and one of the like shot callers, one of the like high ranking gangbangers in the dorm came up to me and was like, yo, what are you reading? And we just struck up a conversation. And he was like, hey, let me ask you like, what are you in here for? Like, cause you kind of, you know, he was kind of suspicious, right? And I, I gave him like the 10 second version and like, you know, I found out the next day when I came back from SOD from work that he had been like talking a bit like, oh, you know, he's out there like fighting for our rights and like up Trump supporters. And like, you know, like he, he was like really and he was saying this to like the other like gangbangers. And, the, and like that really helped. And like he gave me a nickname and that like stuck with me my whole bid and like a lot. So that that was like this one sort of, um, you know, this incident like that that happened early on that had a real impact. And then also things like that happened for my entire sentence. Guys, when they found out what I was in for, it would just be kind of, so like that was huge in forming relationships. You know, it's like once guys figure that out, they're like, okay, so I kind of get where this guy's coming from, the kind of person he is, you know, and that helped a lot, you know, that, that helped a lot. There was no one that had been there when I got there that was still there when I left. Um, and I, actually, when I left, I had been in RNBC longer than anyone except the kids, which RNDC was traditionally for housing young adults, like 16 to 22. Now it's like 17 to 22, but they, they're, they're only like half the population of that building right now. Right. So, but so they'd been there for a while, right? The kids may have, may have been there for 
couple of years before we showed up. They're kind of their own thing. Among like, you know, quote unquote, regular adult inmates. I had been there longer than anyone. So it's like, you know, yeah, this is just a high turnover, dude. There were people serving longer sentences, 16 months. My sentence is pretty rare. A 12 month and a six month sentence consecutive. I only met two other guys who had that sentence out of all the thousands of people I met. Two bullets, which is what they call, a bullet is, is, a, is a one year sentence. You serve eight months, right? Two thirds. That's a bullet. Two bullets back to back or back to back bullets would be 16 months. So back to back bullets is like fairly common, but those guys are like, you know, pitied, you know, it's like, oh, I just started back to back bullets. Like that's kind of like, that's a long time at Rikers if you're serving time, right? If you're sentenced. So there were people like that. There was one guy who had been there for a few months. Yeah, I guess he, he'd been there for four months when I arrived and he was scheduled to go home like a week before me because he was doing back to back bullets, right? But he was released early, coronavirus, which is like good for him. I'm so happy. Yeah. Um, but he, he would have been with me until like my, my last week. So there, there was no one left yet that, that I came in with when I left. There, there were guys that I did long stretches of my bid with. Like anything from like three to five months would be like a long stretch of, of a bid together with somebody, right? And you, you get a, a real sense of like who they are because you see them all day every day. It's like, you know. And I was also able as I got close to the end and it was harder and harder to count down. I was able to count down with my friends. So it's like, oh, cool. He's going home on Wednesday. And when he goes home, I have 60 days left. And it's 15 days until he goes home. And when he goes home, I have 45 days left. And then he goes home, I have 30 days left. And so you can kind of do that. This is a really high turnover. It's like really hard. It's really hard to, there's no sense of stability in there. You know, it's like, it's pretty crazy like that. Yeah. I got some good friends from Rikers. I thought about, you know, do I want to open up my life to every like rando that I met while I was locked up at Rikers? And it's like, not every rando, but it's already like, I'm already not doing that inside. I don't, I don't like hang out with and like lend things to or whatever with everybody. Like there is a certain like number of people that I trust and think are like good dudes. You know what I mean? So like, you know, I think about it in that way. It's like, you can be selective about who you hang out with on the outside, just as you are in here, you know, it's easier. Right. In fact. So, and then, you know, in reflecting on it more, it's like social stigma. It's like one of the reasons I wouldn't want to do that is because like, you know, imagine we're hanging out at a bar or something and someone's like, oh, how do you know each other? It's like, oh, we met when we were locked up on Rikers. And it's like, well, it's not exactly like, you know, it's a little taboo, right? It's not, but like, that doesn't honestly matter, right? It's just like something you're taught to not, not supposed to go to jail or whatever. So <laughs> yeah, j going to jail when you come from the suburbs is like unthinkable. It's not even on the radar. You know, it's like unthinkable and very heavily stigmatized. You know, I think like for a lot of more working class folks of all colors, like if you go to jail, it's like, yeah, cool, you know, no big deal. It kind of like, it happens. It just happens. It happens. Yeah. For a lot of people, it like makes you a man or whatever. A lot of, you know, for men, it's like, there's a lot of that, especially, yeah, it's kind of a rite of passage, you know, it's like, you know, so like there's this whole thing where it's tied into masculinity and like it, 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 it's not something that you really have to seek out as much, you know what I mean? Right? Like it can, it can happen. It can come to you. But in the suburbs, it doesn't happen. Right? And it's like, you know, so I, I thought about, you know, that over my time in there and was like, yeah, well, you know, one reason I like maybe wouldn't want to stay in touch with everyone is because it's, it's like stigmatized, but like the people that I've gotten to know personally, like maybe they're totally different people on the outside. It's possible. It's an alternate universe in there, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt the same way I am in here. And it's like the social stigma or whatever. That's like, that shouldn't be a concern. You know, it should be like secondary at best, you know? So yeah, I have, I have a lot of friends that I met uh, while I was in some friends are like have dropped off the map you know there's one guy who i was pretty close with who is addicted to heroin it's like oh, i can't get a hold of him so i don't know 
you know, maybe he's just having trouble paying his phone bill. Maybe he OD'd. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, but no, yeah, they're, they're guys that I think I'll stay in touch with um, for a long time. I'm, I met a lot of good guys. I mean, you know, we, we lock up way too many people for dumb things, um, for things that locking them up won't solve, right? So it's like to meet those people firsthand and it's like hear your story, see that it's not made up, right? You know, there are different ways you can kind of like check someone's paper. We don't really call it that at Rikers, but they know if you use that term, check someone's papers or whatever, like they know what you mean. But like there are ways you can kind of find out if it's like, you know, if it's real or not. And and yeah, you kind of like, I mean, it could happen anyway. It's the wrong place, wrong time. It's like, well, guess what? It's, it's what I went through too, you know? Things, things do happen. You know, the fact that you're in here doesn't mean I, I never talk to you again. This has been KiteLine. You can check out previous episodes with David Campbell on our new searchable website, KiteLineRadio.org. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.